0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and with godliness brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. From Kerwin's question earlier, this doesn't seem like we've got a lot of New Year's resolutions going, but it's almost become synonymous with New Year's that you have New Year's resolutions. New Year, New You, that's one of the trending topics on every social media platform this time of year. And over 50% of Americans do set um, New Year's resolutions, and as you guys probably know, and I know from experience, more than that, break their New Year's resolutions within the opening weeks of the new year. So I was curious this week to see what are the most common New Year's resolutions, and it's about what you would expect. The number one resolution is to be more active, and by that, people mostly mean go to the gym. And uh, the biggest month for gyms is January, and I mean, it outranks several of the next months combined. And the second most common New Year's resolution is to lose weight, which by that, people mostly mean... Stop eating fast food. So what they did is at Bloomberg, they decided to do a study to see how people kept these two resolutions. Were they being more active and going to the gym, and were they eating less fast food? And what they did was they took phone data from check-ins on social media to places where people posted, and they looked at how many times Americans were going to the gym And how many times Americans were going to fast food. Now, if you're like me, I would never be caught dead on social media saying I was eating fast food. But if anything, that just undersells the phenomenon of how many people were going to these fast food restaurants. So they put this on a graph. And in January, Jim goes skyrockets up to the very top. And fast food is down at the bottom. And as time goes on, these lines start to get closer and closer and closer together. The gym trips go down, times through the McDonald's drive-through go up, and in the second week of March, they have what's called fall-off-the-wagon day, (laughs) and that's where the lines cross, and for the rest of the year, Americans eat fast food far more than they go to the gym, and I thought it only takes 10 weeks for us to reverse those directions and to have fall-off-the-wagon day. And you've probably experienced a fall off the wagon day because here's the secret about New Year's resolutions. You will always revert to the mean. That's just what happens. Statistically speaking, people don't like to do what's in their New Year's resolutions. And here's the point. If you're not different in 2022 than you were in 2021, then 2022 is not gonna be any different than 2021. This is the point. You can do different things for a while, but if you're not a different person, it will never last. will never last. And when I was thinking and praying about what to share for the first sermon of the new year, what to challenge us with, I thought, you know, the Bible talks about this phenomenon all over the place. And it does it like this. You're never going to get a cup of clean water out of a salt water spring. You're never going to take grapes off of a fig tree. The Bible is clear that out of one spring, you can't have fresh and salt water. Out of one tree, you can't have multiple kinds of fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Olive trees bear olives. And so the point for us is not to grit our teeth and try to become olive trees or grapevines or to become a freshwater spring. The point is, the Bible says, if you want to bear good fruit, you need to become a good tree. If you want to bear fresh water, You need to be changed by God to be a fresh water spring. Good trees produce good fruit. And in this passage today, in in 2 Peter, Peter's writing to an early church is actually very similar to the churches we have today for a couple of reasons. This letter is one of the latest letters in the New Testament. It's one where many of the apostles have died. Peter is likely in prison. That energy and the excitement of the early church is beginning to wane. Most of the people that he's writing to are probably second-generation Christians. The first generation, the people that have seen uh, Jesus, they saw the resurrection. Many of those people have died, and now their kids, and even their kids' kids, are carrying on the churches, carrying on the faith. And in this particular circumstance, they've begun to be ostracized. They've begun to fall out of favor because of what they believe. They've begun to be looked upon a certain way, like a certain kind of person. A Christian was not someone in the second half of the first century who was looked up to in society. They were seen as problems. They were actually identified in the Roman Empire as the source of decline of what the emperors were trying to do. And so what Peter is writing to this church is, he wants to say, you guys need to be refreshed. You need to be re-engaged. You need to be, as a church, re-centered on your mission of who you're going to be. And what Peter does in this letter is something that Peter and Paul and John and the gospel writers do over and over and over again. They want to remind you who you are before they talk about what you do. And my argument is, if in 2022 you aren't reminded of who you are, what's true about you, then what you do will be no different than what you've done before. So we open our text, and this is kind of a famous text because of this list, right? We love lists, and this one is primed. It says, okay, if you want to grow, add these supplements to your faith, right? I think of all the sermons I've ever heard on this passage, this list is the focal point of the sermon. Add to your faith virtue, add to virtue um, knowledge, add to knowledge self-control, all the way down to brotherly love, and we're going to get there. But I think there's a reason that Peter puts this list second. He actually wants to tell you a few things that are true about you first. And one of the things that Peter knows, and you know this if you've tried something like this list before, is if you just grit your teeth and try to do the things on this list, it will be the most frustrating season of your life. But if you realize what God has done for you and what his spirit has promised to do in your life, you will see the things on this list start to emerge as you walk with him and as you trust in him. So look at what he says in verse 3. This is what what God says is true about you if you're in Christ. Starting in verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted all things that pertain or that are necessary for life and godliness. Here's the best thing I think I could say to kick off the new year. God has given you, he has provided for you, everything necessary for the life that he's called you to. God has provided you with everything you need to live in such a way that glorifies him, that looks more like Christ, that puts your sin to death, that bears the fruit of the Spirit. He has given you all the supplies for that kind of life. But being fully supplied and being fully formed are two different things. To say that everything that is necessary is here, and to say that the real thing is here are two different things. It'd be like if you go into our house and you say, there's everything necessary for a chocolate cake in this house. That's a very different thing than saying there is a chocolate cake in this house, right? And really, the difference between those two things is a person, is Laura here at this house or is she not here at this house? Because the potential of everything necessary and the real thing requires people, requires action. And so for God to say everything necessary for your life has been given, everything that is essential to walk the way God's called you to walk is there. The difference between that and getting there is a person, God himself. See, what he says is he's given you everything you need for life and godliness, Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What I'm just continually stunned at in this passage is that God has given us everything that we need and has then promised to be there every step along the way. Look at what he says here. I've given you everything you need through knowing me, through knowing me. So it's not like he gives you a backpack full of stuff and says, do your best. What he says is, let's let's dive in here and let me show you how this works. What God did on the cross is he called you into his own life. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He has called you, he's equipped you through the knowledge of him by which he's granted us his very great promises so that you may become a partaker in the divine nature. Think about how stunning this is for a moment. What God's design is for you is not just that you would be a better person, it's that you would be invited into his own life. See, before God created the universe, God was completely satisfied in himself. This is one of the reasons that we think of the doctrine of the Trinity as a real heady theological doctrine, but here's why it's really important. God, before he created the universe, was already loving. He was already powerful. He was already content. He was already pouring himself out within himself. The Father, it says, loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of that love between them. God is complete and content in himself, and what he decided to do was say, this relationship that I have with myself in three persons, we can never grasp exactly what that's like. I want to create a universe so that I can invite people in to that. You know, John says this in, in one of his letters. He says, we want you to join the fellowship with us and with God so that the joy that we have will spill over into your life. God has called you into his own joy, into his own happiness, into his own contentment. So your life is not a stand-alone Christian life. It's an add-on. It's an entrance into his own fellowship. So what Peter's reminding them of is, this is not just about you. This is about God and what he's done to invite you into it. So the thing that's true about you here is you've been equipped You've been promised things, you've been invited into God's life, and what we do as Christians is we live completely out of God's supply. Think about the promises that God has made for your life. So here in this passage it says, "He has granted us his precious and very great promises." The most common promise in scripture is, "Do not fear, for I am with you." Do not fear, for I'm with you. In fact, there are 365 times that God says that, one for every day of the year. Over and over and over and over again, God reminds his people, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. In Isaiah 41, it says, fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my right hand. Think about this for a second. The God of the universe created everything, sent his son on a cross so that your sins, your rebellion against him is paid for. And then, in addition to that, he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Can you imagine what these words would have meant to Peter? So Peter's writing this, and if you know anything about Peter, you realize that in the Gospels, Peter is like the low bar for following Christ. It's like the one that everyone can jump over. It's like if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, don't worry, Peter has been there. If you do the wrong thing at the wrong time, don't worry, Peter has been there. He was the guy that constantly missed what God was doing. So when Jesus is transfigured and he is radiant and his glory is shining, and Moses and Elijah are there, what does Peter do? He says, "We should we should set up some tents so that you guys can stay here." And it's like it's almost like in that story that Jesus kind of brushes him aside. He doesn't want to shame him. But it's kind of like, "Hey hey, hey stop talking. You're gonna miss it." And. You know, there's a good side to this, too, because Peter was always the first one to dive into what God was doing. So when Jesus is walking on the water, the other disciples are like, this is incredible. And, and, And Peter takes off his clothes and jumps in the water to swim after Jesus. But do you remember what happens at the end of the Gospels? Peter says, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, Peter, don't promise what you can't live up to, because before tomorrow morning when the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, he's pressed by fear and insecurity and uncertainty, and even a little girl standing by a fire says, don't you know that guy? Peter says, I've never met him. But that's not the end of Peter's story, right? Because in the end of the book of John, they go out fishing, and Jesus comes back, and he cooks them breakfast on the shore. And as they're coming in, Jesus is kind of playing with them. He says, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And these are professional fishermen. They're like, right, yeah, we put it down on the wrong side. That was the problem. And they do, and they haul in all these fish. And and Peter, seeing that it's Jesus, ditches the rest of the guys, doesn't carry in the fish, swims into land, and he's talking to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. He says, do you love me? And that had to be a real gut check for Peter. Because you can say that, But he knows in the back of his mind, he just denied him three times. He says, do you love me? And and Peter says, you know I love you. And and Jesus says, but do you love me? And he says, you know I love you. And he says, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. See, what Peter promised was actually something that he could not deliver. I will go with you to death. And Jesus comes back and he says, actually, I'm going to go with you to death. Because when John is walking with Jesus, he asks about, Peter asks about what kind of death he's going to suffer, and he says, you're going to be taken, Peter, to a place that you don't want to go. You're going to be led by people who chain you up and bring you to what John says is the kind of death he was going to die. But even in that, Jesus says to him, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the promise, right? Not that we of our own strength are sufficient to live the Christian life. That's a lie. The promise is, fear not, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. I'm with you always. So what's true about you is that you have everything you need because God is with you. Because of what he's promised you, because he's invited you into his own life. And look at what he says here at the end. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is who everyone is becoming. We've talked about this several times in our Advent series, that God's plan for your life is both general and specific. And sometimes we miss the general hoping for the specific. Here's the general. This is God's will for you. You, but holier. You, your characteristics, the thing that God's given you, the way he's wired you, but without sin. Putting your sin aside, turning away from the things that are not honoring to God, the things that He's commanded us not to do, loving other things, worshiping other things, finding our image in other things, and devoted to Him. That's God's will for your life. You, but holier. Following Him, turning away from sin. And make sure you remember this. Everybody who loves God does this. This is not an optional part of the Christian life. Turning away from sin and turning towards God is not like an add-on to the Christian life. That is the Christian life. But it comes about this way, that if God's Spirit is in you, you will turn into a good tree. That's God's promises. It's not, okay, do your best. It's, if you trust in me, I will transform you into who I designed you to be. So you've been equipped for everything you need in God's life because of his work in you, and now he says, for this reason, supplement your faith with these things. So now we get to the list. Supplement your faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with brotherly affection, and with love. Now before we get into the substance of this, I just want to make one point. These are supplements, Okay, this is not, and we get this wrong a lot, this is not a meal replacement. This is a supplement. Okay, So what he's saying here is not, if you want to follow God, then you've got to be the most knowledgeable person on the face of the planet, because if you do that, you will miss a lot of the Christian life. You're going to miss the meat and potatoes of loving him, loving your neighbor, surrendering yourself. You notice that there's a lot of things that are not on here that are regular parts of the Christian life. That's because these are supplements, not meal replacements. So he says, add on to the regular course of your Christian life. That would be things like studying God's word, praying, being in accountability with other people, giving of yourself, of your money, of your talents. Add on to those things, serving these things. And if you look at verse 8, the point of this list is that if they are yours and they are increasing, then it will keep you Fruitful. Right, we're back to our tree metaphor here. If you will supplement your faith with this list, if you will pick a few of these things and add them into your regular life, it will make sure that you continue to be a fruitful tree. So growth, according to this list, has three qualities. Number one, it's proactive. Number one, it's proactive. Nobody accidentally finds themselves taking vitamins right? You actually have to do it. You have to go, you have to buy them, you have to take them each day, and the point of taking vitamins is proactive, not reactive. This is something I didn't even learn until I was in my 30s. The point of vitamins is not like an emergency response to feeling bad. I didn't realize that, because when, up until this point, I just thought you took vitamins when you started to feel bad, and I had a buddy in college, and uh, we'll call, his, his last name is Heckner, so um, we called this the Heckner concoction. What he would do is the moment he felt a little tingle in his throat, he would put together the Heckner concoction, which consisted of Red Bull, orange juice, and emergency. And he would put all of that in a glass and chug it the moment he started feeling bad. And he swore that if you did that, you would never get sick. That is a reactive kind of growth. That, is, that actually does not work. What you need is to build up over time with healthy things, vitamins, so that You're warding off things in the future. But a lot of us treat our spiritual life like a reactive kind of growth. When something goes bad, you better start going to church. When something goes wrong, you better start praying. But actually, growth is proactive. It accumulates like interest. So it is like a principle that you continue to pay into that bears interest over the course of your life. Growth is proactive in the same way that you have to decide to pursue it or it will never happen. Nobody accidentally finds themselves at the end of the year more godly than they started. Nobody finds themselves more generous, saying no to sin, serving more, giving more. Nobody finds themselves doing that without choosing to do it. And the point is, when you do that, you've got to say no to other things. Part of our sacrifice of being Christians is when you say yes to the things that God's calling you to, you say no to a million other things that you could be doing. And I think one of the kind of pernicious lies of growth is that you can say yes to God and yes to everything else. That is not true. If you're not finding yourself saying no to certain things you want to do, certain relationships, certain honors, certain ways to get ahead in your life, you're not growing at the speed that God probably has you to grow. Saying yes to God is always going to require saying no to other things. So part of our growth is the conscious sacrifice of what we could have for what we ultimately want to have. On this list, you'll see things like knowledge and self-control. And some people preach this list as a consecutive list, so you can't get to knowledge unless you already have virtue, and you can't get to self-control until you have knowledge. And I don't think, actually, that's the way that this text works. I think this is saying, here are a list of supplements. What is it that you need? What is it that God's calling you to in this season? And in terms of proactive growth, one thing that's never going to happen is you're never going to get more knowledgeable about God on accident. This is a proactive supplement that you can take. You can decide now to say, over the next three months, I'm going to read, take a course, get in a group so that I can learn more about what it is that I believe. Self-control is that way too. Nobody just finds themselves to be more self-controlled. You have to decide over the next six months in my faith, I'm going to consciously say no so that I can say yes when God calls me to something. Whether that's Fasting, whether that's the way that you serve and you're going to give time that you actually want to spend doing something else, whether that's actually just saying no to the opportunities that you might have where sin begins to creep into your life, whether that's a place where you feel like you have a right to do something, but you know deep down inside God is saying, I want you to set this aside for a season. These are the kinds of proactive supplements that cause us to grow. Number two, growth means progress over time. It's not an accident that the Bible uses trees over and over and over again. Think about Psalm 1. The righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water. What's one of the most basic qualities of trees? It takes a long time for a tree to bear fruit. It takes a long time for plants to grow to their full fruition. And that's the way you are too. You are the kind of spiritual being that's going to grow over a long time, even into eternity. And um, we get this metaphor of a tree over and over and over again. I think about these trees that we just planted in front of the church. We didn't plant these for right now. We planted these for 20 years from now, for our kids, for our grandkids. They're going to get to see the fruition. And your life actually should look the exact same way. The fruit of your life should be in the distant future. Your kids are going to see it. Your grandkids are going to see it. They're going to be able to reap a harvest that you spent time planting now. There was a group of scientists about 20 years ago that planted and developed this thing called Biosphere 2. Now, Biosphere 1 is earth. That's what we live in. And they wanted to create a subsidiary biosphere called Biosphere 2. And so the University of Arizona sponsored this project, and what they did was they built this giant bubble, this steel and glass bubble with a big steel pan under it, completely sealed off from any outside influence in the world. They called it the Garden of Eden on an aircraft carrier. It was a standalone ecosystem. And the most important thing they learned, so they had these scientists go in there and live there for two years, and there's all kinds of really interesting things that they found out and how people lived in this biosphere, and the most important thing they found out though is they realized that when they planted trees in the biosphere, they would grow really fast, way faster than normal trees, but then they would get to like adolescence for a tree and they would fall down. And they were having a big problem because trees are so necessary for having a good ecosystem, both because of the way they regulate the chemicals in the air with carbon dioxide, uh, because of the way they till soil, because of the way they provide shade. They were having a big problem because they couldn't get any trees to grow to maturity. And they realized that even though they were getting really fast growth, they weren't getting any deep growth. The problem was the tree's roots were really shallow. And they kept wondering why this was, and one scientist realized, it's because in the biosphere, there's no wind. No wind. And what trees really need is wind. Because what wind does to a tree is it keeps shaking it and keeps moving it to where it actually stunts the growth of the tree so that it can send its roots really deep into the ground. Of course, that's where the nutrients come from. That's where the water comes from. That's where the stability and the life of the tree comes from. And the wind requires it to slow down and sink deep roots. So one of the problems with the biosphere was they didn't have enough stress in the biosphere. And I think about this list and I look at some of these things that Peter's mentioning here. Stress is one of the things that causes you to grow. Most of us really want a biosphere kind of Christianity. If everything would come easy, we would grow really fast, we would just amaze people with how much we know and how holy we are and how awesome we are to be around, and God has a totally different way that he wired you. Actually, some of the things that God wants to bring about in your life can only come through stress. And this is not like the most popular thing ever to say, but this is what the Bible says on almost every page. Your suffering is going to be the way that God's going to bring about certain parts of your growth. In fact, there's certain things that he wants to form you into that cannot be had without headwinds. And that takes a million different forms. Sometimes that's tragedy, sometimes that's struggle, sometimes that's pain. It's all under the blanket of what we call suffering. Suffering. And in the New Testament especially, Peter says, if you want to be a Christian, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Some of it self-caused, and Peter knew that better than anybody. And some of it for no conceivable reason other than what God wants to do in your life. Some of our best growth as a church is going to be through suffering in 2022. I kind of wish it weren't that way. Like I said, most of us really want a biosphere 2 kind of life, but that's just not the world we live in. God's going to do some things in our church through your suffering. So the third thing is growth comes with resistance. This is exactly the way you work out, right? Nobody gets stronger without resistance. The reason you lift weights and the reason you push yourself is because sometimes you have to be broken down in order to build back up. One of the other things they noticed in the biosphere is wind doesn't just cause trees to sink deep roots, to stop and sink deep into the ground. What it also does is when it stunts the growth of the tree above ground, it constantly reshapes itself. So what the trees do, and all plants do this, is they're constantly moving and shaping themselves to avoid what they're being stressed with and find the nutrients they need. This is why flowers and trees grow toward light sources, is they want to position themselves best to receive what they need in order to grow. And the way that that positioning happens is through resistance, growing up through something, pushing against wind, enduring through darkness. They learned in Biosphere 2 that unless a tree is formed to stand up to the wind, it doesn't actually grow a certain kind of compound called stress wood. And what stress wood is, it's a a highly energized kind of growth. And these trees actually in the biosphere didn't emit the chemical you need for this at all. But when you have stress wood, you have a stronger tree that is better positioned to get what it needs because of what it's gone through. That is our life. You need resistance in your life. You need suffering. You need strain. You need to deny yourself so that you can be positioned to receive what God has for you. And if you look backwards in your life, this is easy to see. There are so many times when God, unbeknownst to you, has been giving you what you need before you know you need it. There are many times I look back and I thought, how did I ever make it through that without this? But usually the this doesn't come. You don't realize it until you're in the middle of it. And what God does with us is he takes things like this list, self-control, brotherly love, steadfastness, and as we begin to supplement our faith, it positions us in a way that we can receive from God everything we need to grow into the person that he's created us to be. So God has promised not just to give you everything you need, but to be there in the process. He's promised to turn our struggles and our efforts as we supplement our faith into holiness and into love and into self-control. And if these things are yours and are increasing, you will become the kind of tree that bears fruit. The most famous passage in the Bible about fruit comes in Galatians, where it says, worldly trees produce things like anger and strife and hatred. But the fruit of the Spirit, if you're a spiritual tree, you produce things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So my charge for us is don't just try to produce that fruit. Become that kind of tree. Know what God said about you. Know what's true about you before you become a different kind of person. And then we will be trees who bear fruit in season, Psalm 1 says. The leaf never withers. In everything it does, it prospers. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you designed all of this before we even came to be. Lord, you knew every day that was written for us the greatest day of our life and the worst day of our life, even before we took a single breath. Father, I pray that as we're looking ahead and we are setting goals and We are, uh, I just love that this church is full of so many achievers and drivers and doers. And before we do any of those things, Lord, would you just remind us what's true about us? What it costs to bring us back into relationship with you. Father, I pray that even now as we sit here, you would be giving us everything we need to grow. Father, give us endurance this year. Give us joy. Give us the willingness to sacrifice ourselves, to give ourselves to what you're doing. Lord, help us to love the people that you put in front of us. Lord, help us to see your hand in all the things that we go through, even the things that we have to endure. And, Father, we thank you that you're going to bring us safely into your kingdom at the end of all of it. You're with us at the beginning. You're waiting for us at the end. You go before us now, and you're with us this very moment. Lord, make your presence known in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.